Hello, listeners. We are back again with one more show of Quote Unquote with KK. I have a few personal announcements to make. Over the last one month, I was preparing to be an empty nester. My daughter has started her college education last week in the US, and now I'm back with the show. Let me first wish all our listeners happy Ganesh Chaturthi to one and all from India. May Lord Ganesha bring an end to the pain, grief, and misery due to COVID that COVID has created in the world, bringing peace and happiness. Talking about happiness, Today I have a speaker who talks about the mantra for happiness and let me roll back about what we have been talking in our last two seasons. We started our podcast show with the chairman of Gallup talking about the josh of public and employees in reviving the Indian economy. Then we had Dr. Rajiv Peshwarya talk about the future of work leadership and change in culture during and post COVID. And in our season two, we had Dr. Marcus talk about human edge and building human resilience to fight the COVID virus. And today I have India's best mythological guru who has been a prolific writer, has written several books and some of them I'm sure you would have also read. I met him when I was organizing the NASCOM product summit in Bangalore and I called him for one of our plenary sessions. He is none other than Dr. Devdat Patnayak. For our audience and our listeners, Dr. Devdat Patnayak writes on relevance of mythology in, in recent times, especially in areas of management, governance, and leadership. Incidentally, he's trained in medicine and has worked for 15 years in healthcare and pharma industry before he turned to his passion for writing on mythology and modern Indian mythology. He has written several books such as My Gita, Jaya, Sita, Sham, Business Sutra, which obviously I have an autograph book of his when he was launching at the Kalari Investor Day in Bangalore. And I happened to listen to him as well. And it's a very interesting book as well. Coming to happiness, I had read his book, Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha, 40 Insights to Happiness. And in today's podcast, we are going to talk about decoding the mantra for happiness. Welcome to our show. Dr. Patnayak, I wanted to understand to start with what was the inspiration to write the book on happiness? So first, please call me Devdat. I prefer that. It's an easy way of communication. Regarding happiness, I have always wondered, like most people, what's the purpose of life and these kind of questions that we all ask ourselves. And I keep hearing answers which are not very holistic. People ask, they say that I want to, the purpose of life is to make money. People of life, purpose of life is this. And finally, I tried to, I narrowed it down to this very simple word called happiness. If at the moment of my death, I'm happy, then I think it'd be a great achievement. And I think that's where I would like to focus my energies on and then break it down into, okay, what constitutes happiness? How do you work on happiness? So I think that's where it came from. I genuinely realized that Ultimately, the purpose of life, it's a, it's a very nice word to communicate so many things. Great. I would like to get your book and I just show the audience. This is the book Devdath has released and fabulous uh, book. I want to understand the whole architecture of your book. You have divided it in four parts. Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. And then below these, there is a whole architecture of 40 different concepts that you have introduced. So for an audience point of view, how is that whole concept of happiness aligning with these four key themes and below those sub themes? So when you read the Hindu scriptures, you find this concept of Purusharth. 
Purushartha is translated as validation of human existence. They don't actually mean the word happiness. They say they're looking at the world at a larger level and they say, how do you validate your human existence? And they came up with various ideas. Originally, they had only three ideas. They said Dharma, Artha, Kama and later they added Moksha. Originally, Moksha was under Dharma itself. But later I will explain that, uh, you know, but it's called the uh, three varga and the chaturvarga system. So they created these four baskets. So the per, you know, when you read Christian mythology, for example, or Islamic mythology, at the end of your life, they say there is a judgment day. There is a kayamat and God is your judge and he's going to judge you whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. Such ideas don't exist in Hinduism. In Hinduism, the idea was every day is a life where if you satisfy these four areas, these four pillars of existence, you will have fulfilled your life as a human being. So I started analyzing, okay, what does it mean? You know, people kept saying dharma is being right, morals, artha is about economics and politics, karma is about sex. For most people, karma is karma shastra and sex. And right. moksha shastra is about Vedanta and all that. That's a casual thing. My first question is, is there a connection between these four words? Are they just independent buckets or is there a connection between them? Because everything in India is interconnected. There has to be a connection. So I realized, I asked, you know, the fundamental question when you look at the creation hymn in the Brihadaranyak Upanishad, it says the creation begins when the first being experiences loneliness and hunger and fear. And because he's lonely and hungry and fear, he creates the world which will give him companionship, which will give him food, which will give him security. And that's how the world came into being. So it talks about these very primal emotions. So then I realized Artha Shastra is about generating all those resources that make us live life. You know what we call success, whether it's money or power, knowledge. The generation of it is Artha Shastra, the generation of it, the distribution of it. But Kama Shastra is the consumption of it, when I enjoy what I have created. So if Artha Shastra is about working in the field and growing rice, then Kama Shastra is about eating the rice, enjoying the rice, turning it into a great dish and loving it. But that is not all, because all animals do that, right? They find food and they consume food. Humans have to do something more than that. And that's where Dharma Shastra comes. Dharma Shastra, when you read the Manusmati, is about feeding people around you and feeding yourself, feeding your family, feeding guests, feeding strangers, feeding gods, feeding sages. So you keep feeding people. That's the heart of Dharma Shastra. And that's what you read in Manusmati, Baudhayana, Gautama, all the Dharma Shastras talk about feeding people. And then Moksha is when you outgrow your need for food. When That is freedom. When you are no longer bound by desires and aspirations. So this is the architecture I conceived of. And I said, okay, let me write one one talk. Dharma is about others. Artha is about generating wealth. Kama is about self, about consuming wealth. And Moksha is about freedom from that which binds us to this material world. The hunger, fear, loneliness, those emotions. So I, you know, I've been writing these articles for a very long time and I classified them accordingly. And I said, okay, let me read Dharma, then Artha, then Kama, Moksha. So you don't get a, like, it's not like only Dharma, then you read Artha, then you read Kama, then you read Moksha. I said, let me do it in a sequential way. So you keep reading a little bit of Dharma and you know, it's like a masala box. Different spices and you keep adding a little spices till you get the flavor. The full masala will sort of grow in your mouth when you start reading the whole book. 
very interesting from an audience because we've got a lot of international audience who don't understand Indian mythology and you have been a topmost Indian mythology. They are very confused about Indian mythology, our gods, goddesses, and then our scriptures, our Vedas. So how do you connect our Indian mythology, which is captured through various scriptures and Veda? And how does that translate back into your book? For a very layman, if you can probably explain that, that would be a great starting point for us to really understand our Indian mythology. Sure. So, uh, you know, most people around the world are exposed to Christianity, Islam and Judaism. And what is unique in these three religions is they believe you live only once. And at the end of your life, you will be judged for your actions. If you have followed the word of God, you will go to heaven. If you have not followed the way of God, you will go to hell. That's one life. So the belief there is only one life. This is the primary thought. Even secular traditions believe you live only once and therefore you must live a meaningful life. And that's the bottom line of modern traditions. Indian traditions have a fundamental difference. They say this is not your only life. You have lived before and you will live after. That's the big difference. There is before you came, uh, you had another life. After you go, you will have another one. Second. The world existed before you and the world will exist after you. So don't think because you have come to the world, you're going to change everything and the world is going to transform completely. It won't. It will continue as before. So this is a fundamentally paradigmically different way of thinking. Rebirth being the most important thing. So you have to at one level accept life and all the privileges and that you have inherited. You have your body, your health, your family, your social situations. Be aware of your privileges that you have, which comes to you because of your past actions. But be aware that if you squander it away in your next life, you may not have these privileges and things could be worse for you. So be responsible for your this life. How are you going to express this responsibility? So there is no really the idea of God, as we say, it is there in India, not in the Western construct of someone who's outside you, who gives you laws and who judges you. That idea of lawmaker, judgment, all-powerful God is not a dominant idea in Hinduism. Hinduism is about you. Are you going through your life bringing joy to people around you? Or are you living, going through your life only focused on your own self, ignoring the world around you, completely self-absorbed? This state of self-absorption is ahankara or ego, where you only think of yourself. And when you start thinking of the world around you and engaging with others, you will be in Atma. That is the state of Atma. And the expression for that, the ritual for that is the ritual of Yajna, which is there in the Vedas. The Vedic scriptures talk of a ritual called Yajna, which allows you to feed other people, connect with other people and allow them to take care of you. So there is a continuous relationship between you and the other. So this give and take relationship between you and the self is at the heart of Vedic thoughts. It is the more you give, the more you take care of others, Atma is emerging. The less you give, the more you think frightened, the more self-absorbed you are, it's Ahankara. So these ideas like Yajna, Ahankara, Atma are the cornerstones of Indian thought. Not Judgment Day, not the idea that you have to live one life following a sacred law. These ideas don't exist. So it's a very flexible religion in that way, where the heart, the core concept being Atma and Ahankar, and the core practice being Yajna, which allows you to connect with the world. The most popular word for connection is Yoga, which is 
globally is very famous yoga we talk about exercises but really they are about connecting your muscles your bones your body your soul to the others around you so it's connection at a very larger level not just exercise so these are the indian concepts which is a simple way of understanding so gods and goddesses and then beyond that there are people who have written the vedas the whole knowledge around what has got translated across generations and our gods and goddesses taking rebirth as well correct yes so when we talk of vedas we are really talking about yagya the early vedas and the later vedas talk of atma and ahankar which is upanishads which is vedanta so these are the, if you understand yagya you understand atma you understand ahankar i think you are in the good zone of understanding hinduism excellent in your book let me just pick up about two concept of the god itself you had we have one avatar called the ram and then you have the other avatar called the krishna you talked about it in one of the chapters and the two ideology who are the descendants of avatar of vishnu krishna is the one who broke rules and rama was the one who followed rules which one do you recommend and how should our society which worships both the ram the krishna and the main uh, avatar the vishnu what should the society actually follow so um, should we again, break rules or should we follow rules in the uh, we have to understand this in the context of global discourse globally god is the law maker and if you follow the law you go to heaven so that's a broad christian islamic concept so you know halal is following the law which will take you to jannat which is heaven haram is breaking the law which will take you to hell so that's a broad idea which we have been trained even when we go to school we are told follow the rules follow the rules then we go to college uh, when we go to work we are told align with the vision of the company align with the rules of the company so everything is about line line following but then now recently everybody is using words like out of the box thinking subversive thinking change the discourse innovate so suddenly now there everybody is telling break the rules and you are a little confused because then you have revolutionaries who want to break the rules revolutionaries who want to break the system in this context we must understand ram and krishna indian thought says so when people ask people that who do you worship in india they say we worship ram and then they say we worship krishna and people get confused saying that you worship two gods and they say well it's not the two gods it's the same god in different situations okay. right look at this idea same in different situations this contextual thinking is at the heart of indian thinking remember i talked about rebirth everybody is born in a different context so rules which apply to the rich cannot be applied to the poor and that's the fundamental difference in the west they think all rules should apply to everybody and we are told everybody should be aspirational indian thought will say no 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 the poor should be aspirational the rich if they become aspirational will become greedy so it's a very different way of thinking you have to look at the context ram so we have so they say okay tell us how the ideal being will exist so, they say, so let's look at god who has infinite knowledge infinite wisdom immortal that's vishnu if he were to participate in this world he will have to come down from his great position of immortality and infinity to very finite mortal life that descent is called avatarana to come down from a very big space to a small space. but he can come now the infinite context which context will he come so you have vishnu coming down one of the context he comes down is is the is the eldest son of the royal family that's ram in another context he is the youngest son in the cowherd family now there are two different contexts one is royalty privileged elite the other is a cowherd no training no education just working in the fields going around chasing his cows taking care of his bulls from wild animals very different 
characters. How will, if divine takes place in these two, will the divine behave? How will the divine behave? Then you realize the person who is privileged and in the position of elite will always follow the, must follow the rules because he is privileged, he is elite. He, the rules exist to help the weak, to help those who are less fortunate. That's why rules exist. Rules don't exist for any other reason. In a jungle, the, the strong animal will eat the weak animal. But in societies, we have rules so that the strong animal does not exploit his position. So Ram, as in position of power, will follow the rules. Krishna is in a unprivileged, non-elite position. He will break the rules that allow exploitation of the weak. So breaking the rules because they are not serving the purpose of rules. The purpose of rules is to create a society which is fair, where power from the powerful is taken and given to the powerless. If the rules instead favor the privileged and the elite, then the rules have to be broken. So Krishna is therefore in different contexts, you have different stories being told to explain the purpose of law, the purpose of privilege, the purpose of being an elite. So this is how the Hindu mythology is trying to explain the concept of diversity. That everybody, this one law for everyone is a very Western idea. One life, one law, one Everything is one, 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 one. India is, no, many, 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 many. People are in different situations. You cannot apply the same rule for the poor person. I give an example of aspiration. Since you deal with the corporate world, I always tell, if everybody is aspirational, then when will you stop being greedy? When will you stop? We don't use the word contentment. While Hinduism will give a lot of importance to contentment. They'll say the hungry man can aspirational because he's hungry, he wants food. But the one who has eaten food cannot be aspirational. He has to be content. Otherwise, he'll keep becoming a glutton and then he'll fall sick and he will deprive other people of food. So that is how Indian thought is designed. Excellent. Let me just now dissect that from the gods to our caste system in India, which defined different jobs and different roles in the society. So you would love to define who breaks the rules and who follows the rules in our caste system as well? So the caste system is a function of a agricultural society, right? It is not a function of an industrial society. India became industrialized 200 years ago. Before 200 years ago, even 200 is, I'm being exaggerating. We really became industrialized 100 years ago. When words like social mobility is used, these are industrial ideas. These are not, in a, in a agricultural economy around the world, the systems were different, right? What is the purpose of a political system is to distribute resources and also respect resources and respect two things right now. For example, in European society, the aristocrats had more resources and more respect. The peasants had less resources and less respect. And that is what led to the industrial revolution, people moving to America and challenging the aristocracy and feudal system and breaking it, saying this is not the way to do, which is why in America, the whole idea of equality became popular and everybody can work hard to become successful. But now, even in America, we are finding inequality, despite the American dream, despite this conversation. So we must understand this background before we come to the caste system. Caste system was India's way of saying, how do we divide resources? How do we divide respect? And what they did is they created an ecosystem where different groups of people follow different professions and were given access to resources for the professions they did. But it also meant distribution of respect. 
Now, this created a problem because certain people got a lot of respect. Some were denied respect on the basis of their profession, which they could Correct. not because it was inherited. You see, unlike us, you and I, we can choose what we want to be in our life today. But if you were born 500 years ago, you couldn't choose your profession. You would have to follow your family profession. So I have no opportunity to change my profession. So I am my resources and respect are determined by what my father and mother are. Now, if I'm doing a job that is declared as impure, then I'm denied respect. So if I'm dealing with dead animals like tanning a butcher, a person who takes care of the crematorium, the person who tans leather, the person who makes leather goods, the person who is a landless laborer, who cleans garbage, who is a scavenger, who does manual scavenging, removing the sewage from the village outside. These were dirty professions. They were kept at the edge of the village and they were considered to be unworthy of respect to the point of being denied water in the village well. So there was some kind of logic created. This is the caste system. Now, what has happened in the process? In the process, you have lost touch with Atma. So what has happened? Remember, I began by saying the Hinduism is about Yagya, Atma, Hankar. Atma is about taking care of people, ensuring everybody has basic resources and basic respect. That is the purpose of what is Dharma. Dharma is about ensuring everybody has basic resources and respect. This was forgotten in the caste system, in the division of resources. While the original idea was very good, everybody will follow their own professions. You create a kind of a system. You do a potter. Your son will be a potter. Your daughter will be a potter. You uh, are a musician. You will always be a musician. That was all great. Then they said, okay, let's divide resources amongst them. That is also great. But the respect, certain vocations were denied respect. That's and it was based on the idea of something very abstract called purity. It's like today saying, oh, doctors, because it happened in India, right? Many people who were working in hospitals were treated very badly when they came back home. They were told that, oh, you have got COVID, stay away from us, don't touch us. They were not allowed into building societies. There were a lot of videos which were going around at that time. This mindset, you are doing a dirty profession, is at the core and it comes from ahankara, where you don't think of other people. So ahankar grow. So while a caste may have originated for whatever reason, somewhere around 7th, 8th, 9th century, by the time it evolved over time, it lost its connection with Atma. And when Ahankar becomes very powerful, that's when you break the rules. And that is when rules have to be challenged, this notion. Today, we are living in an industrial era. We are living in a digital era. These old rules of agricultural societies cannot be applied. We cannot apply them. Right. And we have to ask fundamental questions. We are not. How do you uplift people who for centuries and for generations were denied resources and respect? These are complicated and difficult questions. No simple answer. But they are questions we have to ask ourselves. And that's, as I said, it's not difficult because, you know, it's not that India is a rich country with lots of resources. And therefore, there is, there is going to be fight between the members of what we call the upper castes and the lower castes because everybody's crouching for resources and respect. So resources fight will always be ugly, but at least we can win the respect fight. Let's respect each other because otherwise Ahankara will become more powerful. Whether you like a person or not, whether you disagree with a person, whether you don't, even if he's completely disagreeing with you, can we respect people? 
I think that's the focus area we should have today. I can't talk about resources. That's a complex subject. There is a reservation policy, anti-reservation lobby, all those kind of conversations. That's about resources. But what about respect? Respect is something that we can give everyone. Do we respect people who work for us? Do we respect sweepers, maids, people in unclean professions? We don't even respect friends who eat non-vegetarian food or we make fun of friends who only eat vegetarian food. You know, there's disrespect happening all the time. And I think that is the area where we need to focus on. Excellent. I think with this context and the transformation that we have had from a job-based society to a very modern society driven by our government, I want to talk a little bit in the current context of dharma. You see, now there is, and you've been writing also on your social media and various publications as well. The whole dharma is about the correct system. We follow democracy, dictatorship, communism, or extreme religious fundamentalism, or try to believe in what is best for the world and its people. When there is ankar, we need to change that whole system of governments and, and the dharma. And we are seeing that happening in our neighborhood. We are having some fundamental things. We are having some movement over here. Although Hinduism is a very, very inclusive religion, but there are again a lot of fundamentalism, which is again going against what our own religion talks about and what is going down the scriptures. How do you react to this whole system of bringing the right balance of dharma and governance? So you cannot change the world. That is a very important idea to remember. The world is what it is. It is governed by multiple forces which are not in your control. If you just listen, Buddha gave lectures. Does it mean everybody who heard Buddha's lecture got nirvana? So, no. you know, so that's never going to happen. Krishna gave this Bhagavad Gita lecture, 700 verses. At the end Correct. of the Mahabharat war, Arjun goes to Krishna and says, I don't remember anything. Can you please give me a summary of what you said? It's called the Anu Gita. Even Arjun, who listens directly from God at the end of 700 verse, at the end of the war, goes to Krishna and says, can you repeat what you said before the war? Which means learning is difficult. So let's not try to change the world. Let's not try to boil the ocean. These are foolish endeavors. And if you carry that burden upon yourself, people who want to save Hinduism and all those kind of basically Ahankar is talking. Ahankar says, I can change the whole world. Atma says, you can't. You can only do what you can. What are you can do? Correct. You can do dharma, artha, kama, moksha. You can generate wealth. You can enjoy your wealth. You can share your wealth. And you can outgrow the need for wealth. Four things. In this, dharma becomes very important because it's about sharing. And I think we have to ask ourselves, do we create an ecosystem of sharing? How much? If we, am, I, am I creating jobs? Am I investing in businesses? Am I enabling small businessmen to grow? Am I trusting people to be entrepreneurs and create jobs on their own? Am I creating an ecosystem where my family feels they can trust? Have I made a will in which I take care of my family, but I also take care of larger things in society? You know, whether it's uh, welfare groups, animal activists, plant, climate change, so many things are there. So the attitude of sharing is what dharma is all about. Dharma is about sharing, not storing. When you make, you know, when the old farmer would make crops, our natural instinct is because we're insecure. And remember, insecurity creates ahankara. Ahankara is fed by insecurity and in its insecurity, I want to store everything, everything for me, everything for me. I don't want to share anything. While, ahank, while Atma is so much of trust, it will say, 
बिकॉज आत्मा डज नॉट एक्सपीरियंस डेथ इट सेज जस्ट डिस्ट्रीब्यूट एवरीथिंग नो प्रॉब्लम जस्ट दे दो कुछ नहीं होगा नेक्स्ट डे मैनेज करेंगे वेरी डिफरेंट माइंड टू एक्सट्रीम माइंड सेट्स राइट सो वी हैव टू आस्क आवरसेल्व्स इन आवर लाइफ आर वी कल्टीवेटिंग इफ यू वांट टू बी हैप्पी आर यू कल्टीवेटिंग द माइंड सेट ऑफ शेयरिंग एंड दिस कैन ओनली हैपन यू कांट शेयर इफ यू हैव नो वेल्थ सो फर्स्ट यू हैव टू जनरेट वेल्थ यू कांट शेयर इफ यू हैव नॉट टेकिंग केयर ऑफ योरसेल्फ बिकॉज़ इफ यू आर हंगरी एंड डेड व्हाट विल यू शेयर सो धर्म अर्थ एंड कामा आर द हार्ट ऑफ इट you have to generate wealth you have to enjoy wealth but you have to share wealth on one side and outgrow your need for wealth on the other side contentment which we don't talk about modern management at all we don't talk about it at all we don't talk yoga classes don't talk about contentment tripta to be tript see this is like i hear when i go to management lectures and you must think big think aspirational and i meet rich so rich i have met some of the richest people in the world most powerful people in the world and they still look hungry and frightened because the thing, i thought if you have so much money you should be content no why are you not content what are you hungry for you got so much money but then you realize that the gods will tell ahankara is an insatiable appetite be careful of it so i think this is what i would say this the world is changing there are taliban coming and america is behaving strangely and there's brexit and then there are crazy people talking about religion it is ahankar doing its crazy things let us focus on our atma let us generate wealth let's get lakshmi in our lives let's enjoy lakshmi let's share it with people and let's outgrow our own you know once you become the contentment when you say that you know i'm happy with my one rice and Happy, I've made my money. I've got some money to live a comfortable life. Extra money, I've got like I've got millions, but I don't need that. I will make provisions so that others can enjoy it. Partly for my family, some for my friends, some for strangers, some for the larger society. I think that mindset is what dharma is all about. So I mean, this is a very very interesting thoughts that you have shared, particularly in times of COVID. and distress the world is going through and on one hand we are having the yagna business business sutra and all these vaccination companies trying to make billions of dollars of profit in these times and they don't want to practice these dharmic principles and probably follow the policy of exploitation and resources including human resources and making humans even guinea pigs for their vaccines as we are seeing going on what do you have to say to some of the business leaders and politicians in these times that these dharmic principles would actually bring in a much more tolerant society and a world together so if you ask these people they will say you know system is like that that is a system hmm. everybody is doing it so i also have to do it i have no choice that is a line that is used even by the topmost leaders they all seem rather helpless they all seem helpless Correct. i talk to a very powerful politician and he will say are china is doing it so i have to do it i talk to a politician in america he says china is doing it therefore i have to do it you talk to china china is saying america is doing it therefore i have to do it so everybody in these powerful positions are utterly helpless first let's remember that they are all helpless people because they are fooling themselves first you know in rama and when ram goes to the forest there is a very famous line ram can leave ayodhya but ayodhya will never leave ram so ram can leave ayodhya but ayodhya will never leave ram what does it mean it means just because you are in the jungle doesn't mean you have to become an animal if you have been raised in privilege and you have been given dharmic education you can't say now i will behave like a monkey and i'll behave like a bear and i'll 
In fact, when Ram goes to the jungle, the monkeys start behaving like humans. The, they try to help. Animals don't help any other animal. They take care of themselves and their own troops. But when Ram goes, he elicits a dramatic transformation. They help him. The vultures help him. The squirrels help him. The monkeys help him. The bears help him. The unbelievable phenomena happens. Creatures not capable of helping start helping him. That is what he evokes. What has happened? Covid revealed so much. Oh, feel sad for poor people. Feel sad for poor people. But when it comes to actual helping, nobody seems to be helping. It is a global crisis. It's not a national crisis. How many of us are helping? You know, we photographed our country, for example, photographed more. We are giving up so much of vaccines to other people. But we ourselves have not been vaccinated. So dharma at the cost of yourself is not dharma. That's show off. You have to feed yeah. yourself. The karma is a very important idea over here. Karma and dharma. Karma is you, your pleasure, your satisfaction. And then dharma. See how the ancients said, they were very clear. You will not do any great deed. So we have to ask ourselves as individuals, as leaders, people. You can't change the world. You can't change the system. People will be crazy. People will be stupid. You don't have to follow that path. Or you could say that, okay, 50% publicly I'll follow that path. But privately, what can I do? And privately, I know so many people who have helped people, enabled people, young boys and girls. When I went to the COVID centers, I would see these young boys and girls, volunteers, enabling people to get vaccines in the early days. And I, was, I had tears in my eyes to see these boys and girls overextending themselves, working so hard, doctors, patients, nurses, good work. I know a lot of rich people who have opened up their coffers, ensured money has gone to people, helped people go out. So there is a, we, you know, that doesn't make great news. No? We like people or we like all negative news gets us more TRP ratings. But I think there is a lot of dharmic energy in the world, around the world. People do help each other and we should be part of that energy. We should not be seduced by negative energy, which is ahankara, which is all around us. So remember this one. I think we should remember this one line. You can take Ram out of Ayodhya, but you cannot take Ayodhya out of So that's like you can take Modi out of Delhi, but you cannot take Delhi out of Modi. Is that what is it? Well, I don't want to comment on Modi because then it becomes a very complex idea. He's a human being. I'd rather focus on gods. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on now on this note to Artha. You know, people in these days believe that happiness is equated to how rich and wealthy you are. And with uh, this whole negative value of COVID to the mankind, except for the vaccine producing companies. Do you think that this whole belief of value or relative value is going to change in our society post COVID? And how do we bring this whole new meaning of Artha into our society? So I think COVID has taught us many things. I think work from home has become a new norm. We have learned about how internet companies have done very well to the point that I have some conspiracy theorists believe that COVID was created by IT companies so that we get dependent on IT technology because now everything from delivery to working depends on IT technology. So there is this conspiracy theory about IT companies, not just pharma companies making money, but also the information technology, the digital economy playing these games with speculation, right? But the fact is the world will not change because ahankar will still exist. And wealth gives your life comfort. Comfort is not the same as happiness. Comfort is contributes to happiness, but it is not happiness. Comfort, for example, if I have no money, I have to travel by less money. I will travel by train. 
more money, I will travel by flight. If I have more money, I can travel by business class. If I have still more money, I can travel by private jet. So I have comfort, right? But if I feel my brother hates me and we are fighting over property, it could be in the train, it could be in the economic class, it could be in the business class, it could be in the private jet. So your relationship with your brother, your wife, your children, your friends, your family will not change because of your wallet size, right? So let us be very clear. Comfort, material comfort is what wealth gives us. That's the only thing wealth promises us. That's definitely there. You will get better resources, but that's not the same thing as happiness. We must be very clear. Otherwise, the richest person should be the happiest person on earth. But he's still aspirational. Correct. He's still trying to achieve more and more things. Why are you trying to achieve so much? Because you will never achieve everything. So calm down. There's something called Vanaprastha. There's something called Sanyasa. 70-year-old men still fighting politics. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? You should retire. Stop it. Like Bhishma Pratamaha still trying to fight battle. Krishna said you have to be pinned to the ground. Pinned to the ground. Because you are not letting the younger generation take care of the world. They, the world belongs to the younger generation. Get out of the sea. And that is something. Look at Dasharatha. The moment Ram is about to be coronated, he says, I have to take Vanaprastha. This is dharmic. To think of the next generation. Look at our politicians. 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old. Still clinging to power. Not just in India, around the world. Shameless men who don't make way for the next generation. Because they are too terrified. Because nobody will give them attention. Their attention, they are what is called attention mongers. They are hungry for attention. They are greedy for attention. They don't want to slip away with gentleness and grace. So you have all the money in the world. Live in your five-star hotel and do other things. Learn how to share things. Learn how to be generous. Pass on your knowledge to the next generation. It doesn't happen overnight. Passing on your knowledge, passing on your skills, passing on your wealth is a process. It takes a long time. As you would have known, to pass on skills takes 10 years. To pass on knowledge takes 10, 20 years. So we have a, something called Vanaprastha, then Sanyasa. Nobody, talk, everybody talks about dharmic leadership. They talk about caste system. They never talk about retirement and renunciation and contentment. These words are not discussed. All the people I've seen, all these gurujis and all that, they have these long white beards and I'm like, get, go, go to the jungle. Let the young people take over. Let the next generation start. They will make mistakes. It is okay. Their life, their world. I think this is something we are giving too much privilege to these old people who, you know, the old Jains would say that you should starve yourself to death. Because that is the greatest Correct. story. So we don't talk about these concepts. We are only into consumption, not about contentment. So that's something that we must remind ourselves. Well, the present day Artha Shastra who talk about the whole concept of artha, economies, are all driven towards consumption, consumption-led growth, and not growth-led through equality. This is one of the things you see everywhere in the world. How do we course correct based on, on your principles of artha and artha shastra and bring that whole transformation in, in these artha shastris who are professing what they are professing for the world? See, China is doing it in a very brutal way. So, the currently China, the speculative economy, the rich uh, digital economy people are being curtailed by the government very brutally. I mean, I mean, not I don't agree right. with what they're doing, but the logic they are giving is there's a lot of social inequality. The Communist Party of India cannot, uh, sorry, not the Communist Party of India, the C Communist China. Party of China is saying that you know we don't exist, we will not tolerate social inequality, we don't want to become like America, which is so rich but can't defend its own people 
can't take care of its own poor and does not even have the courage to handle terrorists. So we don't want to become like America, which claims to be everything but does ends up doing nothing. And they think very brutally they are now pulling down the super rich people. They are trying to create wealth equality and uplifting the wealth distribution is the focus now. Now, true, false, they are genuinely moved. They seem to be moving towards wealth distribution after a decade or two decades of wealth generation. So from wealth generation, which was the focus for the last 20 years, 30 years, they are moving towards wealth distribution in a very brutal way, in a very, very brutal way. So is that the future we want where brutal? Because see, how do you distribute wealth? You know, we have a speculation economy where young boys of 20 are making $100 million and everybody's saying, wow, a billionaire. So what? So what if you're a billionaire? It makes no difference because the world, 90% of the world does not have that wealth. They don't, it makes no difference to 90% of society. So we have to ask ourselves, distribution, dharma, how are you distributing? There are only two ways of distribution. Either you do it voluntarily or somebody forces you to do it. How do you do force it? You have taxation systems or you have compulsory charity, social responsibility and using emotional blackmail to force you to share your wealth. So tax is one model. The second model is charity. Dharma talks about not charity. It says it is your riddle. You are in debt. You have to distribute. So it is you are morally obliged to share your wealth with the world. So that is the dharmic concept. The morally obligation is a riddle. That is why if you remember the original, I said there were only three models. Dharma, Ratha, Kama. Moksha was part of Dharma. Because if you share, you automatically become get Moksha. Get the Moksha. So this idea of riddle of being in debt as a human being, you are in debt to nature, culture, society, the world at large. So this is where, you know, we have to ask, ask these questions. If you don't ask these questions, you know, China is re-looking at distribution patterns, you know, in its own way. India has not even reached generation. We have, forget about distribution, we are in generation. And America is turning out to be a very sad situation, right? You can't handle, look at what it did in Afghanistan, abandoned people in Afghanistan. <laughs> Can't take care. Black Lives Matter. Then you have this, and then at the same time, you have some of the richest companies in the world Amazon, Google. They have more wealth than you can imagine. Google, Amazon, all famous for tax, using their tax havens and all these words we keep learning that they're putting money outside of the country. What's the point of business if you don't create a happy world? This is the point we have forgotten. What is the point of consumption is to bring tripti, karma. Pleasure. It is about Kama Deva, but Kama on its own is very dangerous. Artha on its own is very. Today's economists only focus on Artha and Kama. They don't talk about Dharma so much and they definitely don't talk about Moksha. They don't understand Moksha as a concept at all. These four things are important. You can't look at one without the other. One last Artha topic I want to pick up and then we'll move to Kama and Moksha. You see, America is going to default on its own debt to its own people. So it is living or it is enjoying the Kama way ahead of what it is producing as Artha. Is this sort of disbalance the democratic society is going to leave behind as a legacy? This is the other extreme to what you mentioned about China. So what it has done is the society has enjoyed the wealth which it had not created by borrowing and the leadership is not capable of leaving behind the wealth for its future generation of citizens. This again is against the principle of Artha. How do you want to bring this sort of a discourse in democratic societies? 
See, speculative wealth is a concept that emerged around 17th century in Northern Europe. We must understand this concept of what is called the currency economy or the financial revolutions right. of the 17th century. So that is when the idea of money and banking, not money lending, but banking, how we, the same money was lent to multiple people, all those concepts that uh, limited liability companies, then we had stock markets, all these are speculative economy, which has a great benefit because you give access to wealth to larger and larger number of people, enabling them to become entrepreneurs and create jobs. So that was the logic which works well, but every logic needs a restraint. Every logic needs a restraint. Dharma is balanced by moksha, kama, artha. If you look at it very carefully, they restrain each other. Dharma, artha generates wealth, but at the same time, it is balanced by moksha, which says you don't need to have wealth. Then kama is about indulging yourself. It is balanced by dharma, which is saying that you should feed others. So this kind of balancing principles were there in Indian civilization and Chinese civilization. Very powerful. Models were very different. India for valued voluntary. Chinese always believed in state control. That's the fundamental difference between Indian thinking and Chinese thinking. The Western thinking has never had this balancing act. It goes extreme left, extreme right, extreme left. So don't underestimate America right now. They will come up with the, what they will call an invention or discovery. And they will say, oh, we have found something new. And then they'll go to the other extreme. So that's what they'll do. So they moved to one extreme with one stupid idea. They'll move to the other extreme without realizing the two ideas are complementary to each other like yin and yang, like Ida and Pigla, like Shiva and Shakti. Right. So this Correct. is Western thought does not have this complementary idea. They look at oppositional ideas or combative ideas. Well, the Indians and Chinese always looked at complementary ideas. So this is what's going to happen. So right now they've made, they've made many foolish such mistakes. And but do not underestimate the white man. You know, do not underestimate them. They have they will come up with their own solutions. The way China was underestimated 100 years ago, they have come up with their own solutions. Question is, will Indians come up with their own solutions? Right? We still are grappling with wealth generation. We have not generated enough wealth for our people. Forget about wealth distribution. We still are in a subsidy economy. So we rid the concept of rid and debt and the concept of consequences. See, Indians thought of rid two and a half thousand years ago, and they were talking about moral debt, ethical debt, not financial debt. The America has no such concept. They have never had this concept. They have never understood these ideas because they never looked at Indian culture. Even Indians didn't look at Indian culture. I still have to yet see anybody using words like rid in public forums are famous people who are saving Hinduism also are clueless about Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. They only want to kill Muslims and they feel that is somehow going to save India. And that's the tragedy. We don't look at our scriptures and the wisdom of our ancestors, which say, you know what? Be careful of living in debt because one day it will catch up with you. Yamaraja is the right. ultimate debt collector. Debt collector. Correct. Debt Correct. is the debt collector. So he is Yamaraja. Yamaraja, you cannot escape the debt collector. You cannot escape Yamaraj. So this is a very strong Indian idea around for over 2000 years. So. America does not have these concepts. So I guess they will go the Kingfisher way then. They'll come up with a solution. See, do not underestimate the West. I, we underestimate the West. The, China had one time had ships that sailed all the way to East Africa. And then they withdrew into the Forbidden City. Because the state control said at the same time, the West came up with ships and conquered the whole world and changed the discourse of the world. So we must not underestimate the West. 
Right now, China is becoming bullish, but it needs to be humble. As the Confucian always said, be virtuous. The Taoist monk said, be humble. Now we are becoming a wolf warrior for your ahankara. Ahankara in China is still ahankara. It is not coming from Atma. It is not coming from kindness and generosity. It's coming from state power. So that, unless you bring these, uh, Atma Gyan will, is the most critical thing. And we have to understand Atma Gyan, which is not, even Indians don't understand Atma Gyan. We're too busy being, you know, Garb Sikaho, Ham Hindu hai, this kind of a ballistic language which is being used, which is not Atma driven. It is Ahankara driven, which will not help society. I want to wrap up the Artha section. I read your book, The Business Sutra. Fabulous book from a person who is in business or person who's in profession. I want to know post-COVID, if you were to rewrite Business Sutra 2.0, what would be your key messages to the people who are in business and profession? See, I'm writing it in fact. It's, the book is called Dharmic Leadership and it's just, it's the process of publication and everything. So. And this is something I've been talking about, but there are two things. One is get out of the war room mentality. War room mentality only creates destruction. And Correct. figure out what stops you from being generous. That's it. Why do businesses frown upon generosity? What stops Amazon, Facebook, all those big rich companies? We are admiring them for their wallet size. How are they contributing to contentment and generosity? That is the model which should be. This aspirational model is destructive eventually. We have to balance, I'm not saying reject it, balance it with contentment and generosity. How do you create tools to achieve that? We are moving on to karma. You define what is karma and typically people believe karma equal to sex. So, and during COVID, we had the Western porn sites like Pornhub giving procreational content to people so that they are at home and maybe they're procreating. <laughs> so, uh, I want to understand now the digital age has come. How is porn industry redefining our Kama Sutra, modernizing Kama Sutra? I wouldn't know much about the porn industry, but I think pleasure is an important part of life. And we should not be ashamed of pleasure so long like everything else, it is within its restraints where consent is important, exploitation should not happen. If you keep that out, my friend always says, you know, we talk about sex in our society. If you talk, how are children exposed to sex? They are exposed to sex by people said, oh, you could get pregnant. So it is seen as something dangerous or you could get a disease. So it's approached through danger. It's not approached through fun that, hey, it's great fun. And at a cider, you should know how to be responsible about it and how to enjoy it responsibly. You know, to, you know, as young people, every child I know, everybody I know get these forwards of porn videos. So you don't have to go to a website. It's there. All these digital technologies have enabled it easily. And it, I think it is teaching young men and women that different forms of pleasure exist. So women can demand that pleasure from men. You know, there's a very famous story in Anangaranga where the king says all women have to be faithful to their husbands. So one woman walks to the king's chamber without clothes and she says, yes, I'm faithful to my husband, but why is he not giving me pleasure? What have you done? Previously, there was no such restrictions. I could find a man who gave me pleasure. Now that you have removed those choices and said I have to be only true to my husband, can you please ensure that these men know how to give me pleasure isn't it your dharma to ensure that every woman in the country whose choices you have restricted 
are denied are given the pleasure that they deserve in their lifetime and that is when the koka shastri writes this anangaranga anangaranga was written to enable so we should be were culture which valued pleasure hog i don't see the government of india doing that if some politician is doing that then let them do it i mean provided there is no exploitation of anybody and it is done with consent it's just pleasure what is wrong in pleasure the problem comes when you know again the legal aspects of it the you know absence of consent the absence of adult the absence of exploitation those are different conversations those are the moral and ethical ones but pleasure per se there should be pleasure in life what is life without bhog i really appreciate your frank and forthcoming comments on it i'm sure a lot of in our listeners would be also squirmishing and i'm sure they you'll have a lot more fan following osho type i guess but <laughs> before you please remember osho was embarrassed by homosexuality osho was embarrassed by lesbianism osho was embarrassed by hiv aids so no he was not open minded let's be very clear he was when hiv aids spread he did not allow those people into his ashram he did not believe homosexuality was a natural phenomena so he was not as smart as we think people would like to give and he ended up giving his ahankara so much importance he started genuinely believing he was bhagwan so ahank for all the knowledge in this world ahankara he could not conquer so let's be very clear that you know we have to be very careful of ahankara and we should not give people to you know osho is this sex guru but hello he did not understand homosexuality he did not give freedom to people who were gays he abused people with hiv aids in the 1980 i know it because i was a medical doctor at that time and was shocked at the kind of things that the ashram was doing they talked about sex 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 and they would say that hiv aids people cannot enter i think this is bigotry of its worst kind and he was embarrassed by homosexuality which means he was not that smart and educated Great. Now let's move to moksha because last one and a half year, a lot of people got moksha, untimely moksha because of a virus. Because of their untimely death, I'm sure they would be probably taking their second life birth or the birth after this moksha due to COVID. How do you define this untimely death due to COVID? I have lost a few relatives and friends and people who I had a lot of dharmic and other. relationships that gave us mutual happiness being together in their companies how do you define this uh, moksha it's a very sudden and it's a very very untimely moksha people have got so first of all mrityu and moksha are not the same let's be very clear people die and moksha can be experienced even when you are alive so it's called jiva mukti jiva mukti is moksha when you are alive and it happens when you outgrow the desire you don't uh, you are not insecure and you are not aspirational and you are content with what you have and you are letting go of things aram se and as i said the most complex and controversial but most refined form of this idea is sallekhana which is there in the jainism where you actually reject food itself saying that i don't need it not that you are afraid don't like the world or anything you are like mere ko nahi khana hai which means your body metabolism just dies and that so we must understand moksha is very different from the idea of mrityu talk about untimely death there is no such thing as untimely death people die you can die now you can die at the end of your life you can die then death will come whenever it wants to come as per whatever logic there exists in the universe imagine in the forest a little bird is born the moment it is born an eagle comes and eats it or imagine a deer giving birth to a doe the moment the doe is born a cheetah comes and eats it now is it untimely 
or is it timely for the one which is eating it? So depending on which point of view you see, it is from the cosmic point of view. If you look at it from a nature's point of view, human population has not reduced dramatically. So we are still going to consume nature at the same pace as we did before. So at a personal level, it's a loss. At a personal level, we missed our loved ones have died. Our beloveds have died. And that is an eternal thing. It can happen even in non-COVID times. People get cancer, people have accidents, things go wrong. There are violent deaths, wars that happen. So life is unpredictable. So let's, that is part of life. And the reason we have so many restrictions on COVID is to prevent, to minimize the damage to life. And yet people make fun of the government and scientists and saying we want to go out because people are saying we want to rather live life and face death is one school of thought. The other school of thought is don't live life, but prolong your life. So there are two schools of thought. One is like, no, no, we will go ahead and And the other school of thought is that, no, 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 we should all try to conserve life. I belong honestly to the first school of thought. I genuinely believe that, you know, I believe in end of life. I believe in voluntary end of life, euthanasia, part of those societies. I do believe that if people want to voluntarily at the right time, want to end their life, they must be given the freedom to do so. So that's part of death is part of life and we must talk about death in our families. We must even it's not about young and old. We should talk about death. We should talk about funeral rights. We should talk about will. We should talk about life insurance so that we deal with death in a very casual way and enjoy every minute of life God has given us. I think that's the purpose. We should not get frightened of death. We get too frightened of death. I think children should be taken to the crematorium regularly to remind them that this is the future. Eventually, the one future that you can be guaranteed, take them to the crematorium, take them to the funeral homes, show them that this is where you and I will end up one day. It's okay. Or they may end up before us. In Ramayana, there's a very famous story of a priest taking his young son to Ram and saying, can you revive my son? My son died before me. And Ram says, I can't do that. Buddha also says the same thing to a widowed woman whose child has died. So that's life. We may, all the science in the world will not prevent accidental and what we call untimely death. Devdat, I have a personal question. I want to talk about moksha. You know, I've just started the end of my grastashram and I would be moving on to my next vrindashram. Although age, I don't look like. But along with my grastashram, whatever I could do for the society as part of my artha business and what I could have contributed, I have done. And there are several of my friends and, and business uh, leaders who are in the same age band. A lot of them have been shaken during COVID times and have be, may have become selfish about the future or what they would be probably be going through because of the uncertainties of COVID and business. What's your message to people like us? How do we transition from our grass ashram? Now I'm an empty nester for a week. I'm still grieving though. But how do we transition from the Grasth Ashram to the Vridh Ashram or the movement to the forest? I think it is, this is the journey where we figure out how much, how much can we share? How much have we accumulated in life and how much can we share and to whom are we sharing? You know, you have accumulated a vast amount of knowledge. You have accumulated, it's not just about wealth. Wealth is a part of it. That is easy to handle. You can make your will, you can make your trusts, you can do that. That's an easy, that's easy, very easily done. But you have vast amount of knowledge that you can share with the next generation. You know, one is children who are born of your body, but there are children out there who need guidance. There are young entrepreneurs who need guidance. Here you have no expectations because you, you don't want anything in return. So you're freely giving knowledge 
you're giving advice, you're giving emotional security to people, enabling them to handle their crisis. There's a lot society needs. You know, the difficult things where we can contribute. And the question is not that easy to go out there and contribute and say that I want to do social service because that is its own rules and regulations and it's very complex. And many a times the ahankar gets hurt. I see a lot of senior citizens wanting to do social service and then they get horrified because nobody respects them. Because we don't forget that ahankar is still there in the social sector. So we have to fight and figure out how to, this is the time when we realize how do we deal with our self-image. Because we are no longer the professors we were, we were no longer the great leaders we were, we are now in a different situation. And that is something that Vanaprastha means what? Going to the Vana and realizing that in the forest, the animals and birds don't think you are special. I think that is the big psychological journey that we go through over time, which plays a key role in our happiness. In the Mahabharata, when the Pandava princes go to the forest, they discover that the lion, the tiger, the crow, they don't give them the same respect. They say, in the, they say Raj Mahal mein you were Rajkumar, but not in the Vana. That is the meaning of Vanaprastha. This is rediscovering our, the Ahankar which was created inside our, which was created in Grahastha Ashram has to be gradually turned away. It is okay if people don't respect you. It is okay if people don't give you the, we said we should respect senior citizens. They will not respect you, but there will be people who want to learn from you. There are opportunities out there, people who need to learn your knowledge, power, all those things. Share it and, and it's okay to do nothing. If you're not productive, it is fine. You know, we have this burden of productivity. We have to be productive 24 by 7. No, it's okay not to be productive. It's okay not to be consuming all the time. It's not, it's okay not to be productive or consuming. There is a third state out there. And I think that is the third state we have to discover. Interestingly, I want to bring your journey from being into medicine to being the chief belief officer of Future Group and now a world-renowned guru and author. And interestingly, you have put in a comment in your book, your link concepts of health and hormone that the body releases serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphin to the emotions and well-being and how these emotions and well-being in different stages lead to either addiction or your moderation to being happy. I would love, how did you bring this whole concept from the whole medical and endocrine and hormone system to the whole mythological thing of being happy? Can so, you share this whole concept to the audience? So we forget some, something very basic that emotions are experienced through the body. We experience emotions through the body. Our body releases chemicals that makes us feel emotions. There is no independent existence of emotions outside the body, right? It is something that we forget. So when you exercise, a certain set of hormones are released, which makes you give you the high of exercise. When you achieve a target, dopamine is released. When you experience intimacy, oxytocin is released. When there is a lot of pain, endorphins are released. You know, so these are the serotonin is released when you feel this kind of a gentle compassion for the world. So it creates a very positive anti-anxiety emotion. The absence of serotonin creates manic and depressive phases. So we know that our moods are based not just on social events, but how the social events impact our indriyas, our senses. And the indriyas release chemicals which affects our chitta. 
and then we experience the emotion. So the emotion, these chemicals is what the ancients used to call rasa, rasa, rasa and bha. So rasa is created. So I read about rasa and rasa is basically the hormones that our body creates. So when you watch a movie, you your hormones are being released at different levels. They create anxiety, they create joy, they create happiness, anger, various because the stories are stimulating your indriyas and releasing a very interesting orchestra of creating an orchestra of these chemicals in your body which you enjoy that is rasa and the science of rasa is rasayan which is chemistry science is chemistry rasoi the kitchen so rasa shastra theater so see how many things words emerge from the word rasa so that is something that i was aware of and i realized when i was reading some papers about dopamine and serotonin and the people said dopamine based happiness serotonin based i said hey this looks like dharma artha kama moksha so my medical background sort of working I'm, of course that's a very flippant way of connecting it's not that simple but i think people love these connections because it makes them think about dharma dharma being serotonin because it is gentle artha being dopamine because it gives you this high kama being oxytocin intimacy the joy of a lover the joy of a friend the joy of your family and moksha when the pain of life you can overcome endorphins which is why perhaps the nath jogis smoke that ganja we don't know but you know these things are there these are part of life well put devdat i want your frank comment i have seen that paintings and illustrations across your books your presentations and it's very inspirational it's very iconic you seem to have modernized some of the old scriptures and paintings and statues and i see that in your social media sometimes those illustrations also come so what's the source of all this how do you generate this creative content which really looks very modern i think it's natural to me i mean to be honest this is not something that i aspired for these are my inborn talents which i've honed nurtured over the years i see you know when in science when you are explaining a concept you always have a diagram so i have always when i write i like to illustrate to communicate my feelings and thoughts not just using words but also using lines and i feel art communicates to our right brain just as words communicates to our left brain and since i am a communicator i think i want to use both these techniques you know i use my voice i use my art i use my words in order to communicate the wisdom that i have been benefited from when i read the shastras and i feel you know all my answers in life came from the hindu scriptures and i'm just sharing what i have gained i know we are come to the end of our time but i want one parting comment which you have been talking a lot in the social media hinduism and hindutva i want our younger generations to have that clarity because there's a lot of things in the social media which is all crap which you also have been talking about i want that as a parting comment for our audience as well sure. i'm sure a lot of confusion prevails so uh, hindutva is an idea that emerged in the 19th century by a gentleman called chandranath basu he wrote a bengali book and he used the word hindutva for the first time this idea was later taken up by savarkar in 1923 and they really came from what is a political way of thinking which argued that hindus are hindu way of life is under threat from westernization from other cultures from foreigners and the indian nation state must protect itself it is a hindu state and it must protect itself from external agencies while this idea is 
harmless by itself. That it is a threat, and we can argue or disargue, but it's a harmless idea. I feel it's like okay, be careful. But what happens is the manifestation. In order to protect ourselves, this Hindutva doctrine has turned into a very ugly form of hateful, spiteful, venomous, paranoid, schizophrenic behavior, which based on abusing women, abusing Dalits, abusing Muslims especially, and abusing history, abusing anyone who doesn't agree with them. This kind of abusive behavior cannot be, you know, glorified, valorized, legitimized. I think it's just bad manners. An uncivilized conduct. Hindu dharma is a phrase which was first used in the 13th century by Vijayanagar kings to distinguish Indian culture from Turku dharma or the Islamic and Persian way of life that was coming with the invaders such as Khiljis, Lodis, Gurus, Ghoris, and Mughals. And so they use this word Turku dharma. It's a different way of life. They talk about Indian way of life, which is based on rebirth. Which is based on ideas like yajna, yoga, maya, moksha, ahankar, atma. These ideas, rebirth being a very important idea here, based on diversity, different way of thinking. And I think that is what I would like to focus on: ideas like yajna, yoga, ahankar, atma, maya, moksha. These six words for me are very important. Of course, dharma, artha, kama, moksha. That's a very important idea to remember. So these are for me what is Hinduism. This is Hindu dharma. And I want to bring it to the 21st century. As I said, caste system is agricultural economy. We are not an agricultural economy. This old, outdated ideas where women were considered inferior, where LGBTQ was considered to be not part of the mainstream. Those are outdated ideas. We need Hinduism for the 21st century for the future. Hindutva is still looking at some ancient invasions and crazy, and they don't respect science. They don't. Like history, they don't respect the past. There is no gentleness, so that's that's the division I make. One is Rajaniti, Hindutva is Rajaniti. It's about politics and winning elections at any cost. Hindu Dharma is about Raj Dharma, and creating Mangalya, prosperity, growth, and happiness. So I would rather focus on happiness than politics. I think with this note of happiness, and we talking about the mantra for happiness. we touched upon each of the dharma artha kama moksha very briefly but i would urge our audience and listeners to visit uh, amazon i'm going to put the link to the book it's a very inspirational book very very self explanatory on these concepts and i really love to thank devdat for your inspirational talk as always you have been very engaging i mean from the first go at the nascom summit when you talked to us and in between my sincere thanks for you to take time out and talk to our listeners for them to benefit how to decode happiness and the mantra for happiness before we go i just like to make a few more announcement our next podcast is on product design and we have got a world renowned designer in the league of sir jonathan ive of apple who will be talking to us thank you so much our sponsors and our team which has made it possible and thanks once again devdat for making it convenient to talk about such a important topic at this point in time Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Bye bye.